Well, thank you for joining us this morning. And uh, we want to wish you, first of all, a happy Father's Day. Um, I hope that you get to call or visit your dad today. Um, for some of you, you are in the same situation I am and that um, your father is no longer here. So today's a, a little bit bittersweet um, for, the, for some of you like me. But for instance, for me, I, I can rejoice um, in the opportunity I was given. First of all, I got to know my dad. Um, I also got to uh, have a, a great relationship with my dad, uh, particularly as we, as we got older. And um, I was very fortunate in that I had a, a father who loved God, who had put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So for me, um, I know it's just a matter of time until I uh, get to see him again. Um, I get today to be able to spend some time with my kids, um, and it's a joy now to see them as fathers of young children. So um, I, I really count uh, this day as a blessing, not only to um, have had a godly father, but to be a father and now to see my kids as fathers. So um, I, uh, I rejoice in a day like this. And as a Christian, uh, it's exciting for me because I have a heavenly father who loves me and cares for me and provides for me and, and sets an example of what a, a father should be. So uh, thanks again for, for joining us this morning. Um, we are now meeting at the church at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Um, the last couple of weeks, we've had about 50 uh, families, uh, and some of that's just one person, and some of that's six or seven people, um, but um, somewhere about 100, 125 people, somewhere in there, uh, we have been meeting, and um, we are um, working towards the, the, the day that you can, uh, if you're in the area, that you can come and join us. Uh, we had a board meeting Wednesday night, one of the things that we talked about was uh, going forward and how we're going to continue to do that. And so one of the things that we're going to do is we are looking at a uh, different mobile platform and a, a different uh, platform for us for uh, online services. So our current plan right now is we're going to be testing some stuff over the course of the next uh, month or two. That will not affect you at all. Uh, we're going to continue to have, so between now and August, everything is going to be exactly the same um, as it has been. So you can just continue. If this is working for you, you can continue to do it this way. Uh, our plan is for August to go um, to something that uh, a little bit different where we can actually broadcast uh, the preaching part of the service uh, live. And uh, we'll be saying more and more about that as we get closer. We're going to work all the kinks out before we get to that point. But our goal right now is to be able to do that in August. And uh, the, as far as looking at it right now, about the only thing that we will probably uh, be changing is the time. And it'll probably, uh, right now it looks like we'll go on at 10.30 instead of 10. So uh, that's about the only thing really that uh, would affect you. But right now, uh, like I say, for the next couple of months, everything's going to be um, exactly the same. So uh, if you are in the area and you are thinking about joining us, we are asking people to ask themselves four questions before they walk into our building. Uh, first of all, uh, if uh, you're not feeling well, we're asking that you stay home. Um, if you've had a fever of 100.4 in the last 14, or higher in the last 14 days, we're asking that you stay home and watch online. If you have been uh, prolonged exposure to somebody who has tested positive, uh, we're asking you to stay and uh, uh, stay home and, and watch online. And then uh, if you have health-related issues or 
um, age-related issues that put you at a little bit higher risk. Uh, we would like you to just stay home, watch online until things calm down a little bit more uh, within our area. So uh, that's kind of what we have going on. I would encourage you, if you're uh, part of our online uh, fellowship, then what I would encourage you to do is to uh, get on our email list. Um, on Sunday, we share prayer requests and, and things like that that we don't share on a, on a, uh, on a platform, on a video platform um, on the internet. So uh, that tends to let people have a little more of uh, the, the things that are happening within our fellowship so that they can pray for them and encourage and write notes and check in with people. So uh, that's what's going on uh, for us, and we just encourage you to do that. So let's look to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we'll get started today. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day that we have, that, Lord, we have you as our Heavenly Father, who we can go to at any time. And, Lord, we thank you for your love and care and concern and protection over us. And this morning, Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. May we not just hear your word, but may we do it. Lord, may you help us as we try to live in such a way to honor you so that others may see you in us. Father, for uh, so many people that are struggling right now, would you watch over and, and care for them, whether it be uh, physically, uh, financially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, Lord, for some who are struggling, we just pray that you would give grace and strength, that you'd use us to be a, a testimony, encouragement, and help. And Lord, for those who um, are leading, um, as things get more and more complicated, uh, that you'd give them insight and protection and, and wisdom, Lord, to, to do what's best for um, our communities and our state and our country. So uh, guide us, Lord, uh, in this time, and we ask your hand upon it. These things we ask in your name. Amen. We are uh, in uh, a study on the children of Israel. And uh, what happens is we are at the point now, and we left last week where they are at Sinai for the first time. Um, they're actually going to spend about a year here at Sinai. Uh, Sinai is where the Ten Commandments were given. Um, they have been, it's been three months since they've left Egypt. They're now here at Sinai. They're going to spend almost a year here. Uh, they're going to actually spend about seven months actually getting all the stuff together to construct the tabernacle for the first time. And um, as Israel meets here, one of the things that happens is they're given the Ten Commandments. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're actually going to kind of start a series within the series. And although we are, are serious about the life of Moses and the children of Israel, this is a, a, a big pivotal point for them. So for the next uh, couple of months, we're going to actually walk through uh, the Ten Commandments and uh, what, what the implications that they have for us. So that's kind of where we're going to be headed here for the next couple of months. Now, automatically, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, there are all kinds of issues that come up. So I want to start right off the bat by diffusing a few of them so that we all are, are on the same page and we all have an understanding of it. One of the first issues that always comes up is uh, the, the Ten Commandments are so negative. Um, and, and here's what I would say to that. First of all, uh, it's not totally accurate. Three of them are, are positive. Um, I am the Lord. Uh, remember the Sabbath. Honor your parents. Uh, so, so they're not all negative. Uh, but the reality of it is, the majority of them are in, in a negative thing. And, and the reason that that is, is because it's basically a life principle. It's easier to focus on that which you can't do than that which you can do. Um, give you an example. If your, your child is ready to touch a hot stove, 
You don't stop and say, okay, Johnny, now wait a minute. You can touch your toys and the table and the chair and the... No, no, no. You say, don't touch the stove. Because it's a whole lot easier to focus on the one thing that he's doing that's dangerous than it is the 150 things that he can do that aren't that dangerous. So for one reason, and that's one of the things that God does, he says, look, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do in life, but here's, here's 10 things that you need to be careful of. Here's 10 fences, so to speak, that you need to put up. So that's one of the issues. Uh, another issue that comes up is the idea that they're so absolute. There's, like, there's no wiggle room. It's like, you know, and, and we're in a culture, we're going to talk about this, we're in a culture that's very relative. And we're in a culture that struggles with absolutes. So consequently, this becomes a problem that, that when you say this is right and this is wrong, we're in a culture that has a very difficult time with that. And actually, the first commandment, right off the bat, deals with this issue. So uh, as we're going to talk about that a, a little bit later. Um, another issue that comes up is the idea that, look, we are, we are New Testament people. Um, we are on the other side of the cross. So we are under grace, not under law. And while I would say, yes, that is absolutely true, we are under grace and not under the law. So we are not in the same boat the children of Israel are. We are God's people, and um, God has, 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 has replaced that idea of the law um, with this issue of grace. But yet, what you need to understand is the Bible is very, very clear. When Jesus was here, he said, I, I'm not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He said, um, and, and Paul, when he teaches the church at Galatia, says, look, the, you need to understand that the law was a, a schoolmaster. It teaches us an awful lot about us and God, and it was a, it was a means by which to bring us to God. And so we, it, it does have a significant purpose. It does have a significant role for us. In fact, when Jesus is here, he reiterates um, all of the commandments, actually all the commandments but one. And uh, he spends them, actually, when Jesus deals with them, he actually spins them into a positive uh, light. And so uh, we're going to try to do that as, as, as we walk through it. Um, historically, the Ten Commandments have shaped history uh, for thousands and thousands of years. Um, they are very unique. Most commands um, put up by systems, religious systems, are positive in nature. And like I say, um, seven of these are, are, are negative in nature. So it's unique uh, in, in their approach. Uh, these commands were written by the finger of God. Uh, we'll talk about that when we get further into it. They were actually spoken by the, the, the mouth of God. Uh, they are universal in their application. Uh, and and, and it, it, you can actually just, if you pulled them completely outside of the Bible, the context of the Bible, and just said, we're going to start a society with these 10 rules, these 10 guidelines. Um, it would be it, it, tremendous implications for how that society uh, is going to function. Um, they, they, they teach us about um, life. Uh, they address just about all the major areas of life. The idea of um, money, the idea of uh, relationships, um, sexuality, authority, time, priorities. They deal with all of the issues uh, that are essential to life. Uh, they, they reveal a tremendous amount about God. Because in, this, in, in these Ten Commandments, we see the things that, that God is, is, is concerned and God is, is, is focused on. So uh, as we head into it, I want to understand that they do have value to us. They do have tremendous value to us. So uh, this morning, we're going to look at the first commandment. And before we do, let me give you an, an idea that there is some controversy uh, regarding the first commandment. 
Um, and uh, here is the, here's the first commandment that God uh, gives us. Uh, here's the first, uh, there we are. Uh, here's the first commandment that God gives us, Exodus chapter 20. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So one of the things that we see as the first commandment is, I am the Lord thy God. Um, now let me give you a little bit of background here. There's a little bit of controversy here. Um, when the Jews look at the commandments, first of all, the Jews know these commandments as the ten words. They actually focus on, one, on, on, the, on key words in each one of the commandments. Um, and that's actually what we're going to do in this series. I'm going to give you one word associated with each commandment and the principle behind it. Uh, <clears throat> but there's some controversy because Jews and Protestants believe this is the first commandment, I am the Lord thy God. Um, Catholics and Lutherans really see the second commandment as the first commandment. Um, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Um, and they see this as a preamble to it. I, I'm taking the Jewish approach to it to say the first commandment is I am the Lord thy God. And I think it tells you a lot about God right off the bat. First of all, notice it says, uh, I am. <laughs> that was a statement that God used when he revealed himself to Moses. So it's the idea of I am. Uh, secondly, it's the idea of the Lord. Uh, these people came out of slavery. Uh, these people had been in Egyptian bondage for a long time. They understood the concept of Lord. They understood the concept of a master determining everything that you did for your life. They understood the idea of being in bondage, that there was somebody over them calling all of the shots. And then notice that he says, my God. Now, this is very unique because Israel had been in a polytheistic nation with many gods. And all of the gods were distant. And God here makes a statement that says, I am, which is a statement of his authority, um, I am the Lord, again, a statement of authority, and my God, the idea of a personal God. Uh, so uh, you have all of this combined kind of in this, in, in, in this first statement uh, regarding uh, God. So uh, let's, let's walk through it, talk about it, and then we'll get to some implications and, and applications for our life. Um, first of all, the word that we want to associate with the first commandment is that of authority. And, and the idea is this, you and I have to choose an authority in our life. Uh, right off the bat, God here is saying to Israel, look, I want to be the authority in your life. I want to be the one who calls the shots. I want to be your Lord. I want to be your personal God. But I want to call the shots. Um, I, 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 I want to be able to do that. And so what you have right off the bat is this idea of authority. Who's going to be the authority to call the shots, to, to shape the direction of your life? Now, here's the thing. When you deal with authority... It's a two-sided coin. On the one side is restriction. On the one, on the one side is um, the idea of uh, setting up rules and, and guidelines and regulations and responsibility and all that kind of thing. On the flip side of it is freedom. And we tend to think of freedom as no rules, no restrictions, no, no, no guidelines, nothing to, uh, that, that we have to be accountable to. And the problem is... That's exactly what's happening. I mean, you're, you're watching this play out right now in society. Um, as, as I watch the news, I don't know if you're following it or not, but this thing that's happening in Seattle right now, is this issue at play? Uh, this deal in Seattle, if, if you're not aware of it, what's happened is there's a group of people who have kind of taken over this, I think it's like a six-block area in Seattle, 
Um, and they've kind of set up their own little zone, kind of pulling away from the way society is. And basically, what they're saying is, we're tired of the rules of society, we're tired of police, we're tired of all this, and we're going to set up our own little community thing. <clears throat> and what's interesting is, when you, when you read about this thing, um, and again, those of you who know me know this, I, I, when I, I, I tend to be conservative in my views. Uh, but I don't tend to necessarily get my information from conservative sources. Um, I, 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 I try to get in the mindset of the, of the people who are actually in this. So the things that I've been reading about this thing, I've actually been reading from the more liberal side, people who are for this, uh, not people who are against this. So I've actually been reading stuff for, on people who are going in saying, this is the greatest thing in the world, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but here's what happens. There's... Uh, first of all, when it started out, it's a, it, it's a Capitol Hill area so, um, of, uh, in Oregon. And here's what they did. They, they, they originally came out, that they called it CHAZ, which stood for Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Okay? Uh, and that was the, that's how they went by it. They, 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 they set up their area. They said, we're not going to set up any rules. We're not going to set up any government, so to speak. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do whatever we want, and, and we're going we're gonna to put clothes on the street for anybody who wants them, and we'll lay out food, and we'll do all these kinds of things, and you can just kind of do whatever you want. And it was, it's kind of this experiment in socialism gone awry, so to speak. Uh, and, and what's happened is, and it's interesting because even the groups that are for this, like Slate Magazine, some of these kind of things, um, they've talked about the idea that there's already a division in there. Because one group wants to call it Chaz, another group wants to call it CHOP. Um, Capitol Hill Occupied Protest. And there's two groups already. Now, this thing's only been going on for a week or so. There's two groups already that are divided. And one group said, well, this is an occupied protest. And another one said, oh, this is an autonomous zone. We want it to be called this, and we want it to be called that. They've already had to set up barriers to say, okay, we want to determine who can go in and who can go out, and, and, and we want to know why you're coming in, and we want to know. So, so they've already set up, so to speak, authority. And it's an informal authority, but they have, they're, they're starting to set up things about you can and can't do this. And the irony to me is, 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 is the, the craziness, we're going to talk about this in a second, the craziness of it, because what's happened is um, they, they, they want it to be kind of a socialist thing, but yet... One of the magazines showed a, it showed a hot dog stand selling hot dogs for $6 a piece. And I'm thinking, okay, now wait a minute. It's socialism or capitalism, you, can't, you know, what are you trying to do? And it's, it's entirely confusing as to what's happening there. And I'll explain why a little bit later as we go a little bit farther. But you see, there's this one issue of authority, which tends to be more restrictive, and one issue of freedom, which tend to be less restrictive, and they're really both sides of the same coin. You have to have both. And that's the craziness. Um, actually, what they're doing in Seattle, they're ultimately going to have some kind of authority. Uh, they have to. They, they don't have it, it, it either way around it. Because you see, here's what, and this is where we're, we're diving into this morning. Everyone has an authority. Everyone determines who's going to be the authority in their life. And it is either internal or external. Those are the only two choices. So here's what's happened. It, let's talk about the internal thing. If somebody sets up an internal authority, here's what they're saying. I'm the one who's going to decide truth. I'm the one who's going to decide right or wrong. And by the way, you should know, a majority of the American culture falls into this category. Where what they have said is, I will be the one to determine the authority 
in my life. I will be the one to call the shots. I will decide what is true. I will decide what is false. Everything is relative. So what we have is we have a whole group of people who are saying, my truth is truth. And then somebody else comes along and says, no, no, I have a different opinion. My truth is truth. And we have a culture that says, because I, nothing can be absolute, both truths can be right. So you have one group saying it's an occupied protest. You have another group saying it's an autonomous zone. And, and they're saying, well, we're both right. And there's some things that you can be both right in. But most things you cannot. And the problem with you being the authority, the problem with you being relative and saying, you know, my truth is truth, um, is that it's going to get you in trouble because you can't be consistent. There's no way you can be consistent that way. And by the way, that's the objection that people have to Christianity. Because Jesus comes onto the scene and Jesus says, I'm the only way. Well, that's an absolute truth. That means that everybody else is wrong. And society has a hard time with that. When we come in and say the, what, the Bible is absolute truth, the society has a problem with that because truth is not absolute in their world. Um, I, I, here's the way that I guess I would illustrate it. Um, one of the things that, 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 that happened when we were building the church is uh, we, we, I learned this from guys who were far better at building than I am, but uh, one of the things that we started doing was uh, everybody would come up here with their tools and, and we would, when we were building the, both buildings and, and uh, we'd come up, they'd come up with their tools and um, so everybody would come out with their tape measure and we had tape measures made by different companies, uh, Stanley, uh, DeWalt, uh, Milwaukee, uh, you know, there's all kinds of tape measures. So this, is a, this happened to be a Stanley 25-foot tape measure. Um, and so what we learned was that even though tape measures are, are standard as far as the way they, they're, they're laid out, they can be off. And so, um, and sometimes it's just like a sixteenth of an inch, which you wouldn't think is a big deal. Uh, but some of the steel sheets that we put on a roof are, I think, 32 feet long. Well, if you take a sixteenth of an inch off every foot, then by the time you get that piece of steel off, you can be off two inches, uh, which makes a big difference uh, when you're spanning 100 feet. So one of the things that we learned to do is we would, we, whoever was, was doing the cutting and whoever was taking the measurement, we'd get them together and we'd take their tape measures and we'd lay them side by side and pull them out. And we would make sure that 56 on the one matched 56 on the other, that 7 feet on the one matched 7 feet on the other, that 12 feet matched 12 feet. That way we knew that they were both same. And if they weren't, we found another tape measure that was so that both people were working off of the same standard. And that was important. Because if one, and, and here's the idea of the, the, the relative thing. The relative thing is somebody coming in and going, you know what, seven feet on my tape measure is six feet six, and on my tape measure it's seven feet six, but your tape measure is true and my tape measure is true, so let's go build a building. You go, that thing would be a mess. Exactly. When you start saying truth is relative, when you start saying your truth is equal to my truth, then all of a sudden you have a mess. And that's exactly what's happening. That's what you're going to watch play out in Seattle. That's what you're watching play out in our culture. Some of you look at it and you go, you watch the news and it just boggles your mind that people are so inconsistent. The reason people can be inconsistent is because truth is relative. But there are people who have decided that, you know what? I am going to be the truth for me. 
and I'm going to be the authority for me. I will decide what's right and wrong. And here's all I would say to you. It's a Pandora's box. And you're going to find that in the end, it is an incredibly frustrating way to live. The second thing that you can do is you can set up an external system for authority in your life. Um, people do this different ways. Some people choose religion. And they, they choose a religious system. And they say that system is going to be determine what's right or wrong for me. Uh, some people choose philosophy. Uh, they go through and they say, you know, this is the philosophy that makes sense to me. So actually, they're, they're still their own authority. But they're following an outside authority. And that outside authority happens to be a philosophy. Um, and, and I love studying philosophy. I think it's just fascinating how people put up systems and things like that. Um, and when I've studied philosophy, actually, it's very hard to be consistent. I think about the only consistent philosophy I see out there is hedonism, which is basically says, I'm just going to live life for me, period. And I'm going to forget everybody else. I think it's about the only consistent one you can find. Uh, the others have just too many holes in loop. Um, for me, it's, it's, it, it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, I believe that God has earned a right to be my authority. I believe that God has proven himself to be authority. So for me, um, I, I follow, it's not what I want, it's what God says. And so for me, as a, as a Christ follower, as a disciple of Christ, for me, I've chosen uh, him uh, as, as my authority. And what I would say to you is, you have to make the choice. Um, you can try to choose a philosophy. You can try to choose somebody outside of yourself. But ultimately, every one of us, um, has to come up with an authority. We have to come up. So um, here's what I would say, and this is my argument for why what God says off at the beginning, I am the Lord thy God, um, is accurate for me. Um, first of all, I believe that God created me. Um, so for me, I believe that, 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 that he uniquely made me. Secondly, I believe that he redeemed me. Um, listen to what uh, Peter says. Um, in First Peter, to, here's what he said. For you know <laughs> that it was not with perishable things as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from your ancestors. But, and, and I'm going to throw this in there, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. This is the reason for me, I personally... Follow Jesus Christ. Because he has redeemed me. He has purchased. He has taken care of my sin. He has forgiven my sin. He has desired a personal relationship with me. And so for me, that's, that, that's, a, that, that's a big deal. Um, that he has invested already in me long before I decided to follow him. So for Israel, this was a... This, listen, when... when God comes to Moses and says, first commandment, I am the Lord your God. Um, this is revolutionary to the Egyptian people. That first of all, God would be personal. Um, that, that God would want that kind of relationship. And that uh, God would have already delivered them. God had already invested in them. And so he comes to him and he says, I'm the Lord. I, I'm the one who's earned the right to be your Lord. To, to, to be your, your, your savior. Um, I, we don't have time to dive into this, um, but where you really see this play out is in the, is in the Old Testament idea um, of, of, of a covenant. And in the Old Testament, the idea of a covenant went something like this. Uh, when people wanted to make an agreement, a binding, life-altering agreement, 
Uh, what they would do is they would say, okay, we're, we're, we're going to make a covenant with each other. And often what they would do is two people would stand opposite each other. Um, they would, sometimes it was like on a hillside. They would take an animal, a lamb or a goat or something like that, and they would split it down the middle. Uh, they would kill it, split it down the middle, so that the blood drained between them. And then they would walk and they would meet over top of that animal or over top of that blood. And um, shake hands and, and that kind of greeting, that kind of thing, to, and, and make a binding covenant. What they were saying to each other was this. They said, look, um, if, if I break this covenant, may I be like this animal. It, it, it was a way to say, you know what, you can take my life if I don't fulfill my part of this bargain. Um, and it, this was a serious thing. Uh, that's why, by the way, in the New Testament, and in, in the Old Testament, marriage is a covenant. Marriage is something God instituted at, at creation. And it was a binding covenant between two people to say, look, we're committed to each other until in the old days, and I still do it when I do a wedding, until uh, that do us part. Uh, because it was, that, that's why God is so pro-marriage, because God says, look, it, it's a picture of my relationship with you. I'm in this till the end with you. I'm, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to walk away from you. And, and that's why you see this as a, as a beautiful picture um, of, of that, that covenant. And it, we're in a culture today which minimizes marriage. By the way, we, I mean, you know, we have so played this down. We have a whole uh, generation that's coming up or that, that doesn't value marriage, that doesn't see this. Um, I, I, you know, I talk to couples all the time, and you know, one of the things that I hear is, you know, well, you know, we're not going to get married. We're just going to live together. We're still committed to each other. No, you're not. You know, it's different. It's different when you're married. I've talked to couples who have lived together and then gotten married and they say, you know, I can't tell you why, but it is different than what we were doing before. Um, there's something different about it. I have couples that come up to me and they go, well, you know, pastor, you know, look, it, all it is is a piece of paper. And I love it when they tell me that because then I, then, then I start to have fun. I say, really, it's just a piece of paper. Yeah, all, that's all marriage is, just a piece of paper. It's a ma man-made thing, blah, 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 blah. I say, okay, okay, let me ask you something. Um, you got a title of your car? Yeah, 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 I got a title of the car. Can I have it? Well, no, you can't have a title of my car. I said, why? It's just a piece of paper. No, 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 no. It's a, uh, the, the, whoever has the title of the car owns the car. Exactly. It's more than a piece of paper. It represents something. And they say in the same way, marriage, a marriage license represents something. It's not just a piece of paper. I'm just like my, my ring. This is not my, my wedding ring. It's not my, my marriage. It represents my marriage. It represents the commitment that I have to my wife. It represents my commitment, my covenant to God. And so what, what I would say to you is when God wants a relationship with his people, he uses this covenant idea, and you're going to see this play out over and over again. That's why when Jesus at the Last Supper says, this is the blood, this is my blood, in my, this is a new covenant in my blood. He said, I, you need to understand that after I go to the cross and you put your faith and trust in me, you need to understand I, I'm in this for good for you. That's what I want for you. I want to be your Lord. I want to be your Savior. I want to be the one calling the shots. And there's this incredible depth of covenant. And like I say, when God comes to Moses and says, look, I am the Lord your God, this is revolutionary. Because all of a sudden now, it's a whole different relationship than they have ever had before, because now God is very personal. He's the God who's leading them every day with a cloud. 
pillar of fire at night. He's the God who's taking care of their every need, manna every morning. You're going to see later when they start traveling, their shoes never wear out. You're going to, this is a God who says, I want to be intimately involved in you 24-7. I want to be your Lord. I want to be the authority. I want to be the one that is calling the shots in your life because I know what's best for you. You go, yeah, but you know, the whole Christianity thing, it just seems like there's so many rules and there's so many restrictions. Or there's no, 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 no. Look, there's so many things that I can do. And yet, the things that God puts off limits for me are things that are best for me in the end anyway. It's like at my house. We have 11 chickens right now. And uh, when, I, when, when we built Chicken Coop, I, I've had chickens before, and I know um, we're, I'm in an area right now where we have a lot of coyotes that run. Uh, I know just over the hill we have a fox, that, and, and uh, uh, she's had babies, so now we've got more foxes over there. Um, and, I, and I know these are critters that really like chicken. And uh, so when I built Chicken Coop, one of the things I had to do is decide how to do it. So my Chicken Coop, I have a fenced-in area. It's got a six-foot-high fence, chain-link fence around. In addition to that, the bottom two feet have chicken wire. So something that could maybe get through a chain link fence can't get through that bottom two feet. Um, and then in addition to that, I took and I laid out um, chicken wire on the ground. I pulled the dirt back, laid chicken wire on the ground, and then covered it up. So that if someone tries to dig underneath the fence, uh, it, it's going to hit chicken wire right at the back. It's got to go two feet out and dig a two-foot tunnel to get underneath into my chicken coop. And then I put a trellis on top of that so that hawks can't jump down, swoop down and grab them and, and get out of there. Now you can look at it and go, wow, you know, your chickens don't have a lot of freedom. My chickens are incredibly free in that area. They do whatever they want in that area. And I don't have to worry about somebody getting them. Why? Because I have set up a fence, I've set up a restriction to keep them safe. And that's all the Ten Commandments are. That's all God's commands are. Our, our fence is to say, look, stay within this area. Stay within this area and things will go well for you. Stay within this area, you will be safe and protected. Stay within this area, it is the best way to live. So when we talk about things that God asks of us, you need to understand, it is not to, to, to hinder or to make our lives miserable, it's actually to protect us and provide for us. And that's what you see in these commandments. And the first one that God starts out with is, you've got to decide who's the authority in your life. The first commandment's about authority. And so I would challenge you this morning, two groups of people. First of all, people who have not chosen God to be the authority of life. Here's what I would say to you. I would say to you that the best way for you to live is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and let him be the authority. Because what's going to happen is you're going to find out that he is absolute truth. And that the reality of it is your truth is not truth. You have been sold a bill of goods. You have been lied to. You have been deceived. You have fallen into the grips of the culture or your own personality or your own mindset. And what's happened is, at some point, you're going to become frustrated because you're going to start to realize that when you set up truth, you don't have all knowledge like God. So all of a sudden now that you have created or put yourself in situations that are hurting you. And over and over again, I, I see this. I, I, there is only, in my mind, there is only one person who has earned the right to be your authority, and that's God. I believe He created you. I know that He redeemed you. 
He paid the price for you to have a relationship with him. He wants that covenant relationship, just like a, a marriage where he's committed to you to, to love you and care for you and provide for you and take care of you. He wants that one-on-one -on -one kind of relationship that Israel all of a sudden now got to see and experience. And salvation is a covenant that I make with God. I say, look, I'm in this till the end. And it is best not only for me here, but it is best for me in eternity as well. And I want to challenge you because some of you, you don't see the significance or the importance of this, and you're just kind of going along with culture, and you're going along with society, and you're saying, you know what, everything's relative, and, 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 and as long as I'm sincere about it, it's okay. You can be sincerely wrong. And I would challenge you, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, to do that. That realize that you're a sinner, you need a Savior, He provided a way. And as best as you know how, you ask Him to forgive your sin, to be your Lord and Savior, and to then start a walk with Him in doing things the way that He says to do it, because it is the best way to live. You say, oh, Pastor, I don't need that, I'm a good person. Really? Look, good compared to what? Well, you know, I keep the Ten Commandments. No, you don't. You, you, you've broken the first one. Because God is not your Lord and God. Right at the bat. Number one's out. You go, no, 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 well, you can pass that one. I'm, I do pretty well on the others. Look, here's what I've learned about comparison. Um, as you know, I, I, I love to blow glass. Um, and actually, Saturday, uh, uh, blowing glass. And, and, and so, I, I love to blow glass. And you know what? If I were to take my skill set and put it up against people in our fellowship and congregation, there's probably only one person in the congregation who's better than me at it, because I would be pretty good against everybody else. But if I, on the other hand, were to compare myself to Ed, who's bound in Omaha, who's been doing it for almost 50 years, and I were to compare myself maybe to Tony, who's got a degree in, out in Deadwood, who's got a degree in it and work, has, has gone overseas to learn, I, I, I'm, I, I barely make preschool. See, good is a comparison game. So if you're going to sit here and compare yourself and say, you know what, I'm good enough, here's your standard. Your standard is God. That's your standard. So when we compare you to God, where do you line up? It's like you compare me to the other people who do this all the time, I, I don't measure up. And that's what the law does, by the way. The law shows us that, you know what, God is not just good, God's perfect. So good is not enough. And the only way you can be perfect is by putting your faith and trust in Christ and allowing His righteousness to be applied to your life. So I just want to challenge you to think about it, because right now, you're the authority. Second thing is this. To those of you who are believers, you put your faith and trust in Christ. You can literally say with the first commandment, He is the Lord my God. Here's what I'd say to you. He wants to be that God 24-7. Not just, not just when, on, on Sundays, not one day a week. So how does he measure up in that? Are you letting him be the authority tomorrow when you get up in the morning and decide what you're going to do for the day? Are you letting him be the authority when you're sitting down with your, your, your finances and trying to figure out uh, where, you, where you spend your money or what, you, what, 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 what things do you pursue? Are you letting him be the authority when you have to decide what, what career change to make? Do you take that new job? Do you take that promotion? Do you do, are you letting him be that authority? Are you letting him be the authority with regards to your, your personal time, your priorities, your relationships? He wants to be the authority 24-7. He wants to be the one that when you're 
not when you come up with a crisis, you turn to him, but you turn to him first in everything. That's when you can truly say, he is the Lord my God. In other words, I'm going to let him decide what direction I take when I have this decision to make. That was something that I watched. You know, it's Father's Day. I watched my dad. My dad was an executive for Texaco. We moved about every three or four years. And my dad, we, we had a system down. And one of the parts of that system was when my dad found that we were going to be transferred to a new area, we would actually take a weekend and, and, and we would go and he would do some prep work and then we would go and we'd have a realtor lined up to look at a certain number of houses. And then we would always find a church. And usually what would happen is we would then find a house in relationship to the church. That was a big part. How, how far was the, 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 the church away? And it was a big part of the way that I was brought up was the idea of, okay, we're going to take this job, but we're going to go find a ministry that we can get involved in and we can be a part of, and we're going to find a house. So when we went to move on a weekend, that was the process. So I grew up learning how to evaluate what a good church was and what, a, what, and, and what an average church was. Because we get in the car afterwards and we go out to eat and, and, and it was all of Texaco's dime and we would, we would go out to eat and dad would sit down and say, okay, tell me what you learned, tell me what you like, tell me what you heard. And we go through this whole big list. And it's important because I want you to understand that for me, I grew up seeing that as an example. And for those of you who are dads, I want to encourage you to set that as an example. For those of you who are Christ followers, that's the way we need to live our lives, where we put God at the beginning part of it the decisions and the things that we do and the things that we make. That's when you can truly say, God's the authority of my life. He is the Lord, my God. And that's what I see. And so that's my challenge to you. So I end this morning with this. Exodus 20, the first commandment is about authority. Everyone has made a choice regarding who is going to be the authority for your life. That authority is internal, you, or it's external, outside of you. The choice of an authority will determine the direction in your life here and in your life to come. So choose wisely. I believe that God is your creator and redeemer, is the only one who has earned the right to be the ultimate authority for your life. Love him with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, for those who have fallen into this trap of um, making themselves the authority on what's best, Lord, would you help them to understand that uh, in the end, Lord, it is not what is best. In the end, Lord, it will not get them to you, but rather, Lord, drive them away from you. Lord, for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, would you help each of us this week? That, Lord, when there is a tendency to want to do things our way, that we look to you and we do things your way. And that, Lord, we come to the point that when we have those decisions that have to be made, that you are at the center of everything we decide. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, the Lord bless you. Uh, love to hear from you. And uh, love to see you if you're in the area and when you get comfortable enough and things have calmed down a little bit, we'd love to see you and have you a, a part of our meeting together again. So until then, uh, Lord bless you and uh, have a great week.